Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation 2 with T. Jefferson Parker. Yes, we first talked to him our first season, and that time it was in person, Yes, which was kind of cool. It was so fun. At that point, we were all together in Florida at Sleuthfest. I wish we could be in person today, but Zoom is great also. <laughs> yes, yes, we have that. We have that. And so before we get started today, I'm going to reintroduce T. Jefferson Parker to everybody. So he is the award-winning and New York Times best-selling author of numerous novels, which I count like 27 published. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Just 27. (laughs) Short stories. He's won three Edgar Awards, and he's the recipient of Los Angeles Times Book Prize for Best Mystery. And before becoming a full-time novelist, he was an award-winning reporter. And so we talked to Jeff about his role in Ford Mysteries, which Mm -hmm. we love. And in his latest novel, A Thousand Steps. There we go. And Kathy's going to hold it I've got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Such a good cover. I know, right? It's great. So anyway, uh, he's kind of going in a little bit of a new direction. So this this novel is a beguiling thriller, an incisive coming of age story, and a vivid portrait of a turbulent but beloved time and place. So we did love this book as well. And if you don't believe us, <laughs> Lee Child had a thing to say about it, and he who? said, "Parker, I'm sorry, who was that? Yeah, yeah, say? Lee Child, just mm-hmm. Lee Child, you know." <laughs> When Kathy loses her voiceover, Um, (laughs) Parker already has two or three titles on my all-time best ever list, and now he and now comes a thousand steps, which might be his crowning achievement. This is Lee Child saying this, not me. Mm -hmm. It's a great story (laughs) and a nuanced look at the nation in 1968, and above all, it proves no one inhabits character as completely and intensely. Matt Anthony is a changing boy in a changing time, and you won't ever forget him. So that is something. That's a review. Yeah, that's a review. And Jeff, we're just so happy to to see you and have you here again today. It's great to be here. It it really is. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I'm proud to be on your show. And and yeah, that was one of the nicest uh, uh, little reviews or endorsements I've ever gotten. Yeah, I mean, that's a... I mean, you know, we know you're great and everything, but it's nice to hear, you know, (laughs) from other people than just us, I guess. (laughs) So, Kathy, why don't you tell us about the wine today? Oh, Jeff, do you have your wine? I do. Yeah. Oh, good. I I forgot to ask you beforehand. I want to make sure that you, you know, sometimes people forget. (laughs) So Jeff had a great recommendation. Is the same Mm -hmm. bottle you have, Jeff? Did I get the right one? 
Um, that, that, that model you have is a little better than the one that I have. My, mine is the, the white diamond collection. And I think that red is uh, a little pricier and a little uh, older, probably a little better. This is but the only the one thing. my little liquor store in town, Perfect. my little town head. And so we are enjoying the Coppola Diamond Collection Zinfandel. And I'm going to read you the tasting notes while we have a little sip. All right. It is spicy, jammy, and bold. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got that. Rich with ripe red fruit flavors, a medium body, and long on the palate. Notes of caramel, vanilla, baking spices, and raisins. Mm -hmm. Complement flavors of cherry and strawberry on the palate. What do you think? This is one of your favorites now, huh? I think that's a good description. The only, the only the one I didn't get was the caramel. The rest of it made sense to me. And the baking spices, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and medium body and all, long finish, I like. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice, nice bottle of wine. I've been to this vineyard. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Nice. And if ever you, I mean, it's beautiful. And and I had dinner there with my dad, but it was like they have an outside balcony area that you sit on and you overlook the vineyards. Oh, nice. Mm, it was very nice. nice. Yeah, and and then yeah. they have, it's just yeah. a big complex because, you know, they have the tasting rooms and things. And of course, they have like a media room where it sees all Coppola's posters and awards and stuff. I'm a huge fan of Coppola. I mean, his movies, you know, especially The Godfather and, yeah. uh, you know, possibly my favorite movie of all time. So when he came out with wine 20 years ago, whatever it was, I was first in line to buy some and and I've been drinking it ever since. You know, it's good stuff and it's reasonably priced and, and you can find it. Yeah. Very good. Let's get into it. Let's get into this gorgeous. No, it's not okay, gorgeous, so- Kathy. It's bitchin'. That's a bitch. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It is bitching and gorgeous. Yeah. This cover, I just, yeah. I mean, look at, if you're not watching us on YouTube, you need to check it out or just go order the book. It's such a gorgeous yeah, it, cover. It really is. When they sent it to me electronically, the first draft of the cover, which looked almost exactly like that. I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm so used to, you know, you know, having publishers send these covers and getting into arguments, everybody's disputing it. And, uh, and this one was just, well, go to press with that one. It's perfect. You know, my agent said yep. the same thing. So it was like, oh. everybody was just wowed by Forge's uh, cover and, and people yeah. remark about it all, all the time. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I love the cover. And it fits. So it fits so well, yeah. you know, you can kind of mm-hmm. know right away that it's in the sixties or whatever. Yep. It's such a good book. I mean, I really, I want to read it again because mm. you have the mystery thriller aspect, but there's just so much from that time mm-hmm. and under the surface. I mean, there's, and and I noticed that there's a lot of um, the conflicts that they had at that time, like they're changed, but we still have very similar conflicts now. And it's kind of interesting that can see that like this resistance to change, things are changing, you know, and, and people are resisting it. And the same now, except for now we have the news and social media and everyone. So it's even, I think, probably worse than it probably was at that time with the conflicts. But when you started to write this, did you have that? You were like, I want to write about this time. Or did you have the story and say, oh, I think I'll put it in that time. You know, it was it was it was two things why I said it in 68. One one was that I, I couldn't help but see those some of the same parallels to our our days in 2020, say 2021 that you're referencing, you know, um, the you, you know, the kind of disorienting uh, competition and, and polarization of politics and and the endless war in, in Afghanistan and, you know, political enmity everywhere you looked and people kind of at each other's throats. And that was very 1968, you know, so 
uh, 68 was that all, all over again. So uh, I saw the parallels to our time, which always leads a, a writer to want to explore something that, that, that is kind of a good idea on paper. The, the other half of why I said it in 68 was because I was a, a wide-eyed 14-year-old skinny buck-tooth kid <laughs> who grew up uh, right <laughs> over the hill from Laguna in a little place called Tustin. And I first discovered um, the beautiful uh, kind of radical artist colony of Laguna Beach when I was 14. We would get, uh, me and my friends would get my mom and dad or their moms and dads to uh, drive us over the hill into Laguna and drop us off. And we'd have our swim fins and we'd go body surfing and we'd go to the, the Taco Bell for, you know, for Mexican food and, and just <laughs> hang out in Laguna the day, go to the record stores and look at the hippies and just kind of hang, you know. And and for a 14 year old, uh, that world was just oh. astonishing. I mean, here, here's this gorgeous, beautiful city and these rugged, gorgeous beaches trees everywhere and in 68 you know town is just crammed with hippies with their wild clothes and hair everywhere and the cops are mad at them and there's drug deals going down everywhere you look wow. the whole city smells like marijuana smoke and eucalyptus kind of combined you know and I was 14 and I and, and I I didn't understand hardly any of it but I got it and I saw it and I recorded it in my little 14 year old brain and 52 years later when I sat down to write another novel I go, okay what now Jeff I just finished my fourth Roland Ford novel I, was, I need to write another book and that's what I do and I thought you know I'm really, I, I think I might want to go back in time because as I started thinking about that, those memories came back in spades, you know, um, uh, the, the, the smells and the sights and all the, the, the hours that I spent there. Um, I, I had it all in me and, and didn't even know it was there until I started uh, remembering that time and uh, hatching the, the idea for this book. And, and, and the other thing, the, the third thing that really caught me or, 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 or punted me into back in time into 1968 was the, that I was hatching this book um, during the very, very first COVID lockdowns in 2020, the ones in New York when things were mm, so, mm -hmm. so grim. And, and, and the more I, I would wake up in the morning and just read more and more bad news, the caseloads are growing and there's freezers and uh, all this stuff, you know, and I thought, no, I'm going, I'm going to stay in 1968 <laughs> if I can. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to remember all that stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to walk around with the hippies and invent characters and, 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 and write a, a coming of age story, a, a mystery about that time. So COVID kind of locked me down into 1968 in a weird way. So that's what I was going to ask you. I wanted to ask you two things. I was curious if you just wanted to immerse yourself in a different time and place <laughs> during the last couple of years. Um, which you answered, and I completely understand. And I think that's why I enjoyed reading it so much mm -hmm. right now, because things are not great right now either. But you mentioned that your parents and your friend's parents <laughs> dropped you off as a 14-year-old. <laughs> and what you described was a community full of hippies, angry police, <laughs> um, marijuana. <laughs> so what? <laughs> I can't imagine my parents dropping me off at 14 well, in that environment. Thinking, yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah. I, don't know. I don't think they, they, they trusted me weirdly enough. They trusted us. We were these little square kids and, and we weren't hippies and we didn't have long hair. We didn't, we didn't know marijuana from hashish and, and, and we were sort of innocents abroad, you know, and, and mom and dad trusted us enough to spend the day, you know, daylight hours, uh, you know, together in Laguna beach with a bunch of boys and uh, going body surfing. And I'm really glad that they, that they did, you know, because because a lot of parents would not have allowed that. And, and uh, so thank mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I am thrilled for them and for all of us who get to read about it now. I wouldn't let my kids do it. Though, okay. So, you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Would you yeah, let your kids not, do that you now know, knowing? I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. And see, I, w I was too young at that time to really know anything yeah. that was going on, but I, it was a different world that I lived in too, because, mm -hmm. but I do remember driving around and seeing like groups of like, I guess they were hippies sitting in like circles oh, yeah. in parks. And I would yeah. be like, what are they doing? My mom would be yeah. like, nothing, nothing. looking. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably just passing a joint around or something. Undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So I really want to talk about your protagonist because I just fell in love with him. This, um, 16 year old kid, his name is Matt Anthony mm -hmm. and he's, a paper boy. He's got a, he's got a paper route, mm -hmm. right? He's thinking about his first kiss with a, um, a girl he's got a crush on, you know, he's always thinking about <laughs> food <laughs> reality. And I think most 16 year old boys also probably are always thinking about those things too, but he, you just find yourself rooting for him immediately. He unfortunately ends up with a missing sister, uh, right? He, he adores her and the police think she's probably just another hippie. And it's like the world isn't mm -hmm. really listening to him. And so he has to end up going into all the nooks and crannies in Laguna Beach. And I just, I wanted to know how, Jeff, how did you get us to just root for this kid right away? Like, yeah, how did you, you know, do that? I think just because I was so much myself, I was really pulling for him. You know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to write a coming of age story about a boy on his way to becoming a, a young man. And I, I wanted to write about a young boy doing that with, with no real material advantages at all. In fact, his home life has kind of fallen apart. You know, the family's fractured. His, mm -hmm. his brother's in Vietnam fighting. Uh, his father's a deadbeat dad. He's way out in Texas. doesn't say much. Um, mom is, is sort of supporting, you know, the two younger children with her waitress job. But she's also kind of a stoner and has, has more than a small problem with opium. And so she's kind of sliding out of uh, in and out of reality and, and leaving Matt as sort of this man of the house, but he's only 16 and he's got a paper route for crying out loud. He doesn't even have a driver's right. license yet. Yeah. And, and I wanted to create a character who was just right one, one step above being homeless and one step above being out of the dumpsters to get food. And Matt actually thinks about doing dumpster diving for food because he's so hungry all the time. Mm -hmm. There's not enough groceries to be had. He can't scrounge enough free food from his friend at the hotel. And, and his mom brings home um, really good food from her waitress job, but she usually eats it before he gets enough. So anyway, <laughs> and plus he's going through growing pains, you know, his shoulders ache and his knees ache yeah. and his back aches. And the doctor tells him it's growing pains, Matt. And Matt doesn't believe him and until late in the book. And he, he when he weighs himself, you know, uh, late in the book and he realizes he's gained like 20 pounds in, in two months and he's grown two inches. He's just like bursty. His clothes are too small. And, and, and yet he's still just one step away from being homeless. At one point in the book, he is homeless. He's living out of his mother's hippie mm -hmm. van and the cops are after him. So he's kind of an outlaw and he's kind of a kind of a home and almost a homeless kid at the same time. And I just I, I tried to write a boy who did things that I that I liked to do or would like to do. You know, uh, he's a fisherman. I love to fish. You know, he's an artist. My brother's an artist. I, I tried to pick the things in that that were uh, um, lovable and, and, and likable and respectable and things that would that would make people uh, that would endear him to people. And I'm glad I'm glad I got you to love him because that that's the whole point of the book in a way. Well, because the first image of him is on his bike with his, you know, his fishing mm -hmm. rod behind him. And I, I just could picture this kid and felt very familiar, I think. And that right away that attracted us. And it us. brings you back to that time too, where mm -hmm. it's just feels 
like simpler. I think the thing is maybe that your parents probably just didn't understand how bad things could be because they didn't have stuff on the news all the time. There mm -hmm. could be like the yeah. town over and there could be a missing kid and your parents wouldn't even know it back then. Mm -hmm. I feel like they were just, yeah. everybody was in their own little bubble. And if yeah. it didn't happen there, you didn't mm -hmm. realize that out in California, this was happening or some things. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, time, the times were so similar and so different in, at, at, at the same time, you know. I think of a vastly, how vastly different the world would be if you had to, you know, muster up a dime and find, find a phone booth to make a call instead of instead of just right. using your, your iPhone. I was thinking you know? that. Think how different yeah. the story would have been if, if he had a cell phone to pull right. out. You know, like it just would have changed yeah. everything. Yeah. Christy read this fairly lovely review from this very <laughs> unknown author named Lee Child. <laughs> and I noticed that CJ Box, who's also one of my favorite authors, called you the poet of American crime mm -hmm. fiction. And I thought that was that beautiful. Cool? Yeah. yeah. And it was really cool. And I was wondering what your 14 year old self would have thought about well, that. Well, you know, um, that I, I, I would have been... Um, you know, amazed and surprised when I was when I was 14, you know, particularly padding around Laguna and just doing the things that boys do. Uh, I was collecting all those images and those sensations, but I, I didn't have any uh, idea why I had no intention of writing anything ever. And uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to be the shortstop for the angels. That, that was, I was going to say. That was, that was my goal. <laughs> I was 14, you know. So I had no, I had no idea of, of anything writing in the future or wanting to have any of that information. So I would have been, I'd been totally surprised. I think later, you know, maybe by the time, you know, I was midway through high school, I was starting to get the story bug. Like, what would it be like to be a writer bug? You know, I'd, I'd always love stories, um, mm -hmm. but I wasn't a bookish kid either. Um, but around mid high school, I, I started thinking, well, I wonder if I could do that, you know, and, and uh, when I was a sophomore, I was in the bonehead English class and, and we were a terrible class and, and, and I took a, it was bonehead um, uh, mythology and folklore with Miss Page. And I took her class because I thought it would be an easy A and she hated our class. We were just a bunch <laughs> of misbegotten, you know, kids, boys mainly. And, and, and one day we came to class and, and she says, I'm not going to try to teach you people anything today. I think you're basically incapable of learning. So what I want you to do is come up to my desk where there, where she had uh, had a pasteboard box of, of paperback books from her garage. And she said, I don't want you to come up, uh, form a single file line in silence. And when it's your turn, close your eyes, reach into the box and pull out a book and take it back and read it. Or I'm sending you to the assistant principal. So that's what we did. We grumbled and, you know, blah, blah, blah. it was my turn. I closed my eyes and pulled out a book. And it was this blue, funny looking thick paperback called Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, <laughs> who I didn't Ugh. know from anything, you know, and I took it, put, took that book back and read it uh, for the 45 minutes and then took it home and read it uh, assiduously over the next couple of weeks. I'm a slow reader, always have been, but I read that whole book word, uh, word for word and I, I loved it. It was so subversive and it made me laugh and it was just like nothing that I'd ever read before, you know, and uh, I remember thinking after finishing that book, uh, that if I could be a writer, if anybody could be a writer someday and write a book that would supply a millionth of the pleasure uh, to his readers or her readers that mm -hmm. I got from Joseph Heller, you would have to consider yourself a, a success. And I think that was the first little little, um, little wow. uh, dream that I might have had or notion that I might have entertained that I maybe could someday write. Wow. Well, you've, you've accomplished that. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, hope so. I remember when we, when you talked to us at Sleuth Fest and you, you rewrote and rewrote your book five mm -hmm, times mm -hmm. and right. threw it out and write, rewrote mm -hmm. it. 
And I just remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. But it was, that's an education in itself. And so, you know, you've just honed your craft so much. I mean, really, it, I mean, it is a pleasure to read your book. It really is. Oh, I'm not even just saying that because you just said that. <laughs> That, 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 that means a lot to me. You know? We are we are sometimes liars, but I'm not this time. <laughs> lie, lie a little sometimes. <laughs> get, get the guy to smile or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, that's a great compliment. And one of the one of the, the deals that I make with myself before I begin another book is, is I'm always trying to outdo the last one, and I'm always trying to improve as a writer. And I think that you know writing is like golf in the sense that you just you never you never get the whole thing all all the way down. But but you you want to feel like you're 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 doing better. And for you to say that my 27th novel was, you know, I obviously had passed the audition, <laughs> as, as John Lennon keeps saying. <laughs> um, that means a lot. So thank you. Okay, this is a great time for us, Jeff, to switch to, I don't know if you remember this, oh but um, we'd like to ask the authors, yes, mm-hmm. take a drink, <laughs> ask the authors uh, the question in the bottle. Um, we used to call it the craft question back then, but nobody could yeah, figure we, that we out. Had so we had trouble saying it. craft question. <laughs> I think in our episode, we kind of laughed about it, but yeah, but it's just a random question. And yeah. Okay. All right, Christy, what do you what got? What is the funniest gift you have ever given or received? Oh, funniest gift I've ever given or received. Well, or the oddest or <laughs> let's see. I was given a uh, little round black hairy puppy for Christmas when I was 12. And that I think is the, is the most, the most fun gift that I've ever had. Uh, I named him, I named him. You, did you no, not know no, it was I named coming? Him Pudgy, and uh, he was our dog for 13 <laughs> years. He was this little, little black Cocker Spaniel mix something, you know, just a, just a dog, dog, little dog. Oh. And, uh, so anyway, uh, an unusual gift, especially to just be waiting for you in the living room. <laughs> yeah, oh. I know that's like from a movie. I bet your parents had a blast planning <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and you know something. Interestingly enough, they got that dog Pudgy uh, at an animal at the animal shelter in Laguna Beach. They drove that Laguna Canyon Road, and, and oh. uh, they told me that they Pudgy cost five bucks, and for the five bucks you got uh, the dog, the puppy, and you got like four cans of food and a little brush and uh, some sort of a plush toy or a ball or something <laughs> all for five bucks. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. Times have changed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they have. (laughs) That's a, oh, Pudgy is a good name. All right, Christy, I'm curious. Do you have one? What's your, uh, was it, what was the question? Oddest or funniest? I guess funniest. I I don't know. I am a very good gift giver. So Mm. I can't, I have never given a funny gift. Yes, you are. But (laughs) unless it was called for. But um, let me see. I think my, the one that I got, um, the first Christmas after I was married for my husband at the time, it was maybe not funny, but to me, it was like, what? It was oh, no. a box I'm scared to hear with nail stuff in it, like clippers and scissors and maybe things to trim your beard too. I don't know. It was like a <laughs> manicure type. I'm like, what is this? First of all, because obviously, look, I'm not the, you know, look at my nails. Don't look at my nails. (laughs) And I was like, this is my first Christmas. (laughs) I'm looking for jewelry. What does this gift tell you about yourself? It's like, okay. I still have it though. (laughs) 
Is it in like a pouch kind of like a little pouch? It's a little box. It had a it has a little latch on it. All right. Yeah, like a and I should go get it out. And it was like um, fake alligator (laughs) leather outside. I know. Just FYI, don't give your newlywed wife a pair of nail covers for Christmas. Is the moral of that story? It doesn't set things off. And you probably were hoping for pudgy. Like you wanted like a puppy or something. Yeah. Funny. It was funny. It was like one of those things like, okay, I'm never going to forget this. (laughs) And why did I get you that good gift? (laughs) Now, what'd you get him? I don't even remember. Probably something really good like golf clubs or something. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I said I'm a good gift giver. Anyway. Yes, you are. You are. All right. Okay. We love, love our 16-year-old Matt Anthony. But I have to admit, I'm kind of curious about Roland Ford. Roland Ford? Well, he, he he's not in <laughs> yeah. this book. Is he coming um, back? I don't know. I don't no, know. Is he coming I back? Don't know. Um, I have no plans to bring him back, but I, I might because I like Roland Ford too. And I like writing that series and uh, um, I had a lot of fun with him. And I think somehow, as as my friend Barbara Peters at the Poison Pen said the other night, uh, I think somehow mm-hmm. that I'm not done with Roland Ford. She doesn't think I am, and she wants another Roland Ford book. So I don't know. I may do that. Yeah. I may not. When I uh, had my uh, A Thousand Steps outlined and stuff, I, I, I showed it to an editor. Uh, my agent took it to an editor at Forge, and they loved it, and they and they bought it immediately and, and offered me an, another book as well. So I signed a two-book deal oh. with them, and, and I'm already working on the next <sighs> book, of course, because authors work ahead. And um, um, it's not Roland, so um, I, it, it'll be a little while if I do it. And I, but I may. I like that series. Because I was wondering how that worked. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously you're at a level where you can just write what you want, <laughs> well, except you have of. a contract. You didn't, so you didn't have a contract set up when you started. Well, actually, you made the outline. Yeah, but then exactly. you get a contract, and that, that's how that went. Yeah, and I'll tell you to, to be honest about that whole thing with Roland and, and a thousand steps coming up next. Uh, um, I, I finished the fourth Roland Ford book, uh, Then She Vanished, and I was casting about for ideas and story ideas like we were talking about earlier. And um, I, I, I became enthralled with this 1968 uh, in Laguna Beach stuff because I was there as a kid and all the reasons that we've been talking about. And, and that idea mm-hmm. uh, for A Thousand Steps, that book, A Thousand Steps, just literally ordered me to write it and said, you're not writing Roland Ford, you're writing me. And I took that seriously or the, you know, the the creative guy inside me took that seriously. And, mm-hmm. and when, so, when, when something demands that much attention so strong and you feel, and you feel these, these, these memories and these sensations kind of swelling up inside you, uh, you listen to that, you know, that's, that's, that's where good writing comes from, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, I listened, I, I, I followed the piper on this one. Mm-hmm. So 1968, that whole environment came to you. Did Matt speak to you? Or did you know what was going to happen to his sister? I mean, was it the character or what was he was facing? Well, how did it come to you? The, the, the story, kind of, the, the, the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. of the plot, the story? Yeah. You know, I had a, I, I had a pretty strong notion of, of what uh, had, had happened to his sister. You know, she, she, she goes missing the first page, literally. So no, no uh, spoilers mm-hmm. there, you know. And uh, he, he's a real fan of his older sister. He adores her and, and uh, respects her and all that stuff. And, and uh, so I, I knew that I wanted her to be, to be missing right now. And she, and she is. And I, I, I knew that I wanted, wanted Matt's worries about what might have happened to her to be 
to be kind of his own and not shared by even his own mom. Um, and the cops say the less. I mean, they just think that she's this hippie chick. She just graduated from Laguna Beach High School and she didn't come home last night. You know, what's the big deal? You know, nobody, everybody does that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, um, and then, you know, um, now that I know she's gone, as I'm a writer here and I'm on page, you know, 15 and I'm feeling my way through things. You know, one of the beauties of, of a mystery is that as the protagonist steps forward in, into the story, you get to watch him and help him solve it. You know, so it's like me and Matt are kind of the same guy, you know, I'm, I'm taking him to places where I think he needs to go or would go and letting him, you know, letting him walk in the room and say something like bitching, you know, <laughs> so, so I get both, you know, you're, you're solving the mystery and solving the mystery of how to write a book at the same time. And it's really kind of fun. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an obtuse answer to a more straightforward question, but that's what I did. I, I, I had a pretty good idea of where that story was going. Um, endings always fool me. Mm -hmm. I always start worrying about the starting worry about the ending really early. You know, when I'm 300 pages into a 500 page book, I really start worrying because I can't figure out how all these clues and all these things uh, are going to add up and, and what's going to happen at the end of the book. You know, I know what I want to happen, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. You know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do with all these, with all this evidence, you know, that, that typically in a mystery or a thriller, um, it builds yeah. slowly and it compounds and it becomes crowded and crowded and top heavy and top heavy. And then it just comes crashing down at the end, you know? So how am I going to handle that? How am I going to catch all these things, you know, and, and not get crushed by these boulders that are coming down? So it's fun and it's hairy. And the last hundred pages of that book, of, of all of them, really, but a thousand steps in particular, that book contains a bunch of action scenes, but there's, there's one big sort of big action scene towards the end of the book that resolves some of the story. And I must have written that thing, I don't know how many times, I, I wrote, I worked on that for weeks, and it's not that long, it's only, it's less than 20 pages long, right? it's one chapter, you know, but I worked on that so hard, because I had to get it right, because I'll tell you, writing an action scene is a lot harder than people give you give credit for, you know, read, read a good action scene, and that, a lot of work went into that, you know, um, you know, author authorship isn't Hollywood. You know, you don't have a camera and you can't film a car chase. You have to describe the car chase. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do for a gunfighter. Any, anything physical, any physical action, you know, doesn't have to be violent. And uh, so anyway. And if it's not right, it really brings you out of the story as a exactly. reader. Because you're like sitting there yeah. going, wait a minute, that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. How does the arm go there? Or whatever, right. you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're doomed if you, mm -hmm. if you make stuff like it's that true. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. anyway it was it was fun to try to chase the you know chase matt down and put him into situations right where, where i thought he could get a clue you know i think you're giving kathy like nervous energy because she's such an organized person and she mm. has to have everything outlined so mm. the thought of getting <laughs> to that point and being oh i'm not sure what i'm gonna do next how am i gonna get this together <laughs> she would be like no no <laughs> <laughs> I have hives. I was going to say, you break out yeah. in hives page 300 in your manuscript. Yeah. So, speaking of nerves, though, did you, did you surprise your agent or your, I mean, when you switched to a 16 year old protagonist? And is that considered YA? From Roland I don't Ford? really know if that's a YA book or not. I don't really know either. I, I think a YA book is kind of what, what hmm. the publishers ca call it you know, or, uh -huh. and, and how they market it and yeah. put a certain, certain kind of cover maybe. Yeah. So I think it's a great book for a young adult to read, but I don't mm -hmm. think it's a YA book. And that's just too, right. that's, that's exactly what I felt like. I'm mm -hmm. like, this is a really good book that they, yeah. they could read, but I, at the same time, I feel like it's just 
a little bit larger than a YA book, you know, I don't know. Well, because I think, and go back to this <laughs> great cover here, we'll, we'll, we'll bookend this, this <laughs> conversation, but when you are a certain age or above a certain age and you see this cover, you know part of what you're getting. And I think that's part of this for terrific mm-hmm. appeal. And I, I, I think a lot of readers are going to love stepping back into 1968. Yeah, I, I, I think they are. Which I, they should. I, I think you're right. I, I hope so. Yeah. Oh, Jeff, this has been such it a really great has. conversation. I could have more wine and more conversation <laughs> with you for yes, a long absolutely. time. But Christy oh, has a okay. question yes. for you, right. I think. Let me see. <laughs> this is this is different from our corks and conversation ending question because you know we have to do it different. If you had to choose one of your characters to be your personal chef, who would you choose and why? <laughs> My personal <laughs> chef? Well, it would have to be Matt Anthony, who invents in this book the peanut butter and jelly burrito. <laughs> oh, which so I actually gross. invented, to tell you the truth. So that I was gonna say I had never heard of that. You. Yeah, oh. I, I invented it. Yes. Like, I'm trying to picture this. Oh. Or, like, you just, like, put spoonfuls <laughs> of, and then roll. Yeah, oh, just so he, heat the pan. Get the pan good and hot. You don't need oil or anything. Take I use tort, uh, the wheat ones. Flour. They're cheaper. Flour, oh, because yeah. they're, they're, they're cheaper and bigger. And, and you put <laughs> yep. it in and, yeah. you know, get it hot on both sides. And then just start, you know, just finger, you know, teaspoon in all the, all the peanut butter and jelly you think you want. And then fold it up and get a giant <laughs> glass of milk and you're set. <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound bad. I might, I, I, you, could, you know, you could do it like, um, I think I would replace the jelly with like chocolate spread or something. Nutella. <laughs> yeah. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah, chocolate spread would be awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be pretty good. <laughs> Okay, Mr. T. Jefferson Parker, if our listeners and when our listeners want to reach out to you and find out more about you and your other books besides A Thousand Steps, where should Uh, they go? I'm I'm easy to find. Uh, Books are easy to find. Uh, tjeffersonparker.com is a a, a good web page for me. Um, I I, I do Facebook posts uh, pretty often from my thing. Um, look me up on Facebook and I, I tweet and stuff. If you, I guess you have to follow the guy to get your tweets, but his tweets, but I do that. If you want to sign up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to get. And I've got a, um, a good uh, um, email address on the website. If, if someone wants to just send me a note or say hello or like the book or didn't like nice. it or whatever. I, I, and I do, I do read that email and respond to most of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm easy to get. Great. I'm out there. Great. This has been a lot awesome. of fun and uh, we yeah. thank you again for taking the time. We do would be fun. In fairness, if you go back and listen, we got to share a glass of wine with uh, Jeff and his mm-hmm. wife actually after Sleuth Fest, and it that was, was super yeah. fun. So we had high expectations for today. I, I knew it would be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think yeah. all we have to do is say cheers. Cheers. Yes. cheers. cheers, Christy. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube, where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.